This is an after-school program podcast. Welcome to the Home Studio Hangout Podcast, where we explore what it's like building, running, and working out of a home studio with your hosts, Joshua Matatuck, Andrew Simmons, and many guests in different areas of the music industry. Welcome back to the Home Studio Hangout. So today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be interviewing my good friend, Drew. Your good friend, everybody's good friend, me. That makes me feel <laughs> way less significant in your life. <laughs> so today we're going to be doing a simple interview just to figure out what Drew does, what he did, and more importantly, what he is going to do. You make it sound like I'm a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> what he did what he does what he did and what he's going to do dude i just hit something on reaper and it made a weird thing and it made a Is weird it still thing? recording it's still recording let's go all right let's so go. what he's going to do i was trying to mute my main monitor in case it's coming through my monitors and i think it's hello it's not that's all staying in. That's Bet. the podcast Every intro. Single one Welcome yep. back. Welcome back. Thanks so, for So, Drew, <laughs> what I would like you to do is take me back to the beginning. Take me back. So, for one, I want to learn not only about, like, your music stuff, obviously, because this yeah. is a music podcast, but I want to know, like, where you were born, what you liked as a kid did you play soccer like every other kid that i grew up with and i was so bad at soccer when i was a toddler <laughs> you didn't ask me about whether or not i played soccer I but i did and <laughs> um so yeah just take me back to the beginning so let's see here very beginning of little me um so i was born in a small town uh called central south carolina it is a very, very small town. Uh, someone would call it Podunk, potentially. It was, but that's okay. I don't know what that means. Uh, pretty redneck. Oh. Yeah, that's what that <laughs> means. Yeah. Very uh, cool. Yeah, you know. Sounds like Beaver Tucky. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, born there raised there until i was a wee lad of i guess 10 and then we moved uh but i'm getting ahead of myself so i born there uh started playing piano when i was three years old um because we had a really big uh baby grand in our house and both my parents played some music stuff my mom did marching band and clarinet and stuff in high school my dad was always kind of involved with like church stuff and playing piano for there. And he did like trumpet and guitar and sang and did a bunch of stuff like that. Can't read music to save his life, but I'll play by ear, played a bunch of different instruments. So um, I feel that. Yeah. Cause my dad was the same exact way. Yeah. But it was, it was kind of cool. Cause you kind of learn like, what they're you kind of listen you kind of get to learn how they hear which was interesting yeah. um yeah. for me i kind of had like both sides of it 
<clears throat> so mine was very much uh my mom came from a reading only background and my dad was very much like ear for everything. oh see so you got both yeah oh that's cool so, see my mom was classically trained but then my dad like learned everything by ear mm-hmm. but by the time i was like old enough to like understand words my mom was out of the game by like a good 20 years yeah 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 yeah. she my mom by the time i was born she had been out of high school for probably like a year or two maybe like a year and a half by the time i was oh wow um so she was 19 um or something like that so um yeah so uh we, she had been decently at least a little bit removed, but by the time I was three, I was like interested in piano stuff. I had been like playing around and messing around with like some books and replicating some stuff that I had heard just like by listening to things and just plinking yeah. around on the piano. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so they got me piano lessons when I was three, started learning how to play like crazy stuff learning all my scales and i think by the time i was like six i could play some like watered down versions of some like beethoven and bach and stuff so you're like a true piano player then yeah i was i'm not so much anymore but i was i I mean i feel that that's like music producer life like we were both insanely talented at one point and now we're and now we don't care anymore (laughs) i was on a co-write the other day and sure enough my boy enoch he goes hey, so uh, are you like a guitar player? And I said, yeah, man, like that's my instrument. And he goes, great, why don't you come up with something? And I said, oh. Oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's funny because like that's a common theme amongst like most producers mm-hmm. is there's a point in your life where like you get Pro Tools. <laughs> and you're like, well, not practicing anymore. Just yeah, doing this. yeah. So that's actually really good to hear. It makes me feel less bad yeah. about myself. So but, that was about uh, when I was like five or six. I was doing that, um, and but like that means that you had a strong foundation with like theory, then, right? Oh, and well, reading. Kind, yeah, as a yeah, kid. yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I was reading music from I think age four. I was reading music, dude. Most kids don't even learn how to read by then. Yeah, I mean, it's only it's only what seven letters. Yeah, but <laughs> it's different though. Like you don't use like music to communicate with your like people. I mean, you yeah. do, but not yes, in like but a that's language why, kind that's of. That's why way. it was. That's why it was easier. I think because you know you could just like say this note corresponds to this no- this shape on the page. And that is called A. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, I still can't do that very <laughs> well. I can't do that quickly. I can't sight read any sort of music other than percussion music. I can sight read treble clef music. Bass clef music is really hard. And then sight reading. Um, sight re- I can sight read tabs really well uh, and like lead sheets and stuff. Um, oh yeah like see i i did a lot of jazz bands so yeah so same thing um i later on whenever i was in high school college area i was playing at a a bunch of pentecostal churches and playing bass in a bunch of pentecostal churches so they would have like charts with lead sheets and stuff on it 
Um, yeah. So see, that was kind of the cool thing. Um, you know, growing up as like a percussionist, because like, mm-hmm. you know, I learned guitar and then I got into band, and that's whenever I learned like proper things. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> you know, it was neat seeing that transition into my production life, where now like I was really good at programming percussion mm-hmm. quicker and programming and editing in general because of that foundation. Mm-hmm. And so, like, did you see that as well? Uh, so somewhat, I think it was, so I didn't get into production until way after college. Um, but I did find that after, after doing, basically doing, playing music from age three, I had a really good sense of chords and timing and all that kind of stuff. And then once you get into like college, you start learning how to sight read and ear train and how to like you can hear a rhythm and say notate that rhythm just from like hearing it once like being able to do that kind of stuff directly translates to midi programming oh 100 percent. which is crazy like you don't really think about it that way but it's yeah. like if i hear da 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 i can like look on a midi grid and go that needs to be here here, here. yeah because because i didn't grow up with like a strong like theory foundation or reading at all Mm -hmm. then once i got into percussion that's kind of how i looked at percussion music what's it made is is no not even that because i didn't know what it was yet but i looked at it as oh well if this is my time and it's Mm -hmm. 16th notes then it's this many gaps Mm -hmm. you know and so i would i would look at everything as if it was a grid almost and then so once i got into midi it very quickly clicked that, oh yeah oh that's what it is yeah, so literally. even whenever i could like if i was struggling with something mm-hmm. i would go ahead and write it out in midi and then listen to it and practice to it and like that was a huge huh. breakthrough moment because i was able to like program quicker mm-hmm. but then also read better oh and yeah so yeah it, it was cool. neat seeing that crossover um because, you know, at the time, it was like, oh, yeah, this is just something I do at school. For sure. Probably never going to play drums in a band. And guess what? So far, I've been right about that. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, you know, it, it was just like a curricular thing. And then yeah. seeing it, like, transition over to, like, the stuff I do in my free time and mm-hmm. to the stuff I do, you know, today is, like, kind of cool. For sure. No. So, yeah. So, I did the whole, like piano as a child thing you know that lower that middle class like or lower middle class like young kid thing where your parents like ah you need to play an instrument in the 90s so you play an instrument Uh, um because yeah yeah, my parents weren't like that i was 91 a 91 baby so i um oh you're old yeah you know (laughs) so uh, you're not old dude yeah i know man the uh but yeah, that was that was basically the entire from when I was three till when I was about I stopped taking I stopped taking piano lessons after college because they were kind of weaved in and out. But I stopped for a little while whenever I hit middle school and I got into like like orchestra orchestral band stuff. Started doing yeah. like trumpet um, and like playing you know, there and, uh, learning how to sight read that just, and learning how to, you know, learning a new instrument was weird 
learning to have to do something like like with your breath and like with your only three fingers but it could be a bunch of different notes it was really weird and like the pressure changes the octave and things like that it's it's like a weird mental thing yeah see i um i was always interested by that too and so my friends would like hand me their trumpet and stuff and i was able to like play some notes Mm -hmm. and everybody told me like you should probably do that and i was like what am i a loser (laughs) and so i never did and now i'm kind of bummed out that i didn't because like there are times where i kind of wish that i knew more instruments because it would be really cool to like like a live trumpet well yeah so i'm I'm working on a song for somebody coming up and it's very of monsters and men so i'm gonna put a trumpet on it oh yeah as like the lead like the lead line in the bridge dude so um sam he's actually like insanely good at trumpet or at least he used to and i remember it was probably within the last month or two Mm because it was like quarantine boredom like he started like picking it up again and playing around with it and like i think that that stuff is just like so cool because having more ways to make cool sounds is just incredible yeah yeah yeah, exactly um and it's super unique to you and all that kind of stuff too um anyway so i did all that in middle school and then into high school i did like the marching band thing it's kind of like the next step of all of that uh but in high school i also started playing in like a jazz band and that's when i started like learning guitar and bass and all of that kind of stuff um and i kept play i kept doing piano lessons as well um at least in my senior year i did i kind of wish that i kept up on lessons because by the time i hit junior high i was done with them so i stopped doing them in sixth grade and i didn't pick them back up until like my junior year in high school because i was about to go to college and i needed to be able to play i wanted to get i had to brush off like you know de-rust my piano skills a little bit um because i hadn't played since i was 11 at that point so yeah. uh it's a long because you were going for music education correct yeah so i went to i ended up going to southern wesleyan university uh went uh for music education which was pretty dope at least like the music part was and you the part of the education program i really liked that was an accident because if you think about it, it makes sense. The, you need to be able to play a bunch of different stuff, right? So we had a bunch of different types of classes. We had wind class, which I didn't have to take because I was a trumpet major, but you also had strings class and woodwinds class and, um, piano class and percussion class, stuff like that. So we had to we had to know how to play every instrument and all of those things, not only to be able to write for it, because that was another class that we had to take was orchestration, um, but also to be able to, in theory, teach a middle schooler how to, um, oh, I said in theory, and my phone thought it said Siri. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, in theory, be able to teach a middle schooler how to play those instruments or at least get them better enough, you know, get to get them into right. high school and then hand them off to somebody who specializes. Yeah. Um, so I learned to play a lot of different stuff. Got to learn how to play cello. That's where I learned yeah. a lot about like drum stuff. 
Um, like I said, like I just figured out it was all basically just MIDI programming, uh, even though I really didn't know what that meant at that point. Yeah. But, and I was friends with the drumline people in high school, so I learned enough. A little bit of left-right flame stuff and paradiddles and all that kind of practice things. Um, rudiments. Rudiments. <laughs> rudiments. And then, uh, yeah, so learned all of that stuff. And then I decided in in college, let's see, I, it was 2011, my end of my second year in college. I graduated high school in 2009. Did my first year. Did that touring thing that I did where I like traveled around and played camps and stuff for the school. Um, and then came back and did my second year and then I stopped liking school. <laughs> Cause I started Feel getting, that. yeah, well I got, I had one, I had the taste of like traveling, which was fun. But the other part of it was I, that second year is when you start, they basically start crossing you over. Your first two years are essentially all your music courses and your second semester, your sophomore year is when you start dipping your toe into your education courses. Oh, so I was oh, like, that sucks. Cause you yeah. would think it would be opposite where you would have to get like all the gen ed stuff done. Like first, even like, so the no, teaching you, stuff, no, you, know? you did the gen eds while you're doing the music stuff, but then you do like education courses talking about building lesson plans and yeah, having to, that's what I meant. Like, learn like I, you would think that that, that, that would be more of a part of it. Like first. Yeah. No, the music, it's all the, but it's almost like they'll just like get you into it and you're like, see, you're going to like it. It's all about the music. Yeah. And then they're like, by the way, <laughs> Here's all this dumb stuff that you also have to do. So yeah, I that I sucks. did I did that. I had to student teach in a middle school, and I hated it. So I was like, okay. I thought I would try to push through it and just be a general music major with like a communications minor. So I did that for about like a quarter of my last semester, and I was like, I ah, this is just boring and stupid. Around that same time, I had been like, um messing around with Ableton building tracks for the touring the touring group that the school sent out uh, in reason. But I had also been like working in Ableton and stuff, building tracks for some churches or, you know, pre pro stuff for yeah high school kids and, and like college kids in the area, just messing around with stuff, tracking things. Um, so just started kind of getting interested in all that. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, there was a guy that I met kind of that was adjacently affiliated with one of the churches I was working at and volunteering at. And uh, he was a country guy. He was like, oh, I need a guitar player. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I'm about to drop out of college. Um, you want me, you want, I'll go play with you some. He was like, all right, cool. So he put together a band of me and two other of my friends and I dropped out of college and play, once again, that whole summer just played a bunch of shows, went to Nashville, played, uh, some, uh, CMA week like thing that was super fun. Um, 
and got to go visit some studios. And that was like where I was like, oh, this is like a thing that you could do. Yeah. Like, it just seems, I don't know. I don't know if you were like this at all, but like whenever you're younger and you just think about like, you don't think about how music's made sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you just don't think like, ah, I like this music. This is really cool. And like, why do I like this certain type of thing or this cert- more than this certain type of thing or like why do if i'm listening to two metal bands that like this record sounds really good and i i love it and this record the songs are pretty cool but it sounds really terrible why yeah so like, you know what's actually funny about that is i from as long as i can remember i was always conscious of that mm-hmm because the first record that I ever bought was, well, not that I bought, I got it for Christmas, was Meteora by Linkin Park. Oh, nice. And so I can't remember if it came with the second disc or if the CD just had like the stuff demos. on it. And if you plugged it into your computer, then you'd be able to watch like a short documentary. Yeah. And in there, it went through like some studio stuff. And then that got me on YouTube looking at things. I was always fascinated by recording studios but what brought me into it wasn't the idea of working in a studio or being in a studio it was the fact that like there were guys doing it at home yeah which is really weird because i feel like most people are like i want to be in that big studio well so i was like i just want to do this in my house yeah so and like this is like we are like two different generations of music people really we really are yeah Cause it's like I'm just before that a home studio was even a thing. Like yeah, home studios, home studios in. I mean, they were a thing in 2011, but not, not really. You know. Yeah. Like they were a thing for people who already had really big studios. Like Chris Lord Algae probably had a home studio in 2011 but he was also a professional mix engineer and had another really huge studio that he went and worked at. You know what I'm saying? And like, yeah. there are other guys that like, it wasn't like 2011 would have been whenever I was going through my prog metal phase. And that's mm-hmm. whenever I saw like Misha from periphery working on stuff in his house. And then he yeah. did that Vela Maya record that I loved. He and did so that, that is what made me get a job at McDonald's to buy my first rig. And I and, left that out of my interview, and so I'm glad and, I included that. <laughs> and he, and he, uh, now you mentioned that you got a job at McDonald's, and he um, did that first Periphery record. That's what blew my mind. Yes, he did that Periphery record, and he did stuff for Animals Vail. as Leaders. Mm-hmm. And Animals as Leaders. So that was what blew my mind, is that... Sumerian was saving so much money dude, with him. I know, right? <laughs> so they... Um, that record, so I remember that periphery record coming out in like 2010, uh, 2009, whenever it was 2010. When Gent was like, Whoa, yeah, yeah, I was like, What is this? This is nuts. The, the crazy part, so I had just gone to Nashville, I, I figured out that record was like existed, so I listened to it a lot, and then I went to Nashville and went to Ocean Way and saw this really huge studio, and then I saw their B room which actually intrigued me a lot for the same reason that, you know, it intrigued you. It's like, this is a really small room. It's actually like not that hard 
so theoretically put this somewhere like back home you know what i'm saying like a b room mm-hmm. is not like in a big studio is really not that big so that kind of got my gears turning a little bit i was already kind of doing some production stuff even though i didn't really know it was production stuff um in ableton and reason and, and building tracks for bands and churches um so when i came back i found out that, that misha did that whole record like on it was 100% on his own other than the vocals and it was all mixed and everything like in his bedroom which is crazy like that's just nuts to me like back in 2000 it would have been done in 2009 that he was just churning out stuff that is essentially timeless uh so I come back and I am I'm all about trying to get this studio stuff happening right so there's a couple churches that were offering me some internships because I wasn't, I didn't really have anything to do with my life. Touring season was over for me with this guy that I was playing with. Um, so I, uh, went and visited a couple of the churches that were offering me internships and found one in Greenville or near Greenville called marathon that had a studio in the church and i was like yo that's tight i got like i obviously have to come here and use this so i f- i got i figured out a situation with them where because i was you know i was at this point i was 20 about to be 21 um and i did not really want to live at home so (laughs) (laughs) that sounds familiar yeah so i uh but i didn't have a job at this point i was just like right because you just dropped out right yeah you were touring and stuff so so like you just like come back and you're like i had money to do i had money i guess i could go live here for free yeah so the church was like yeah we have this place where our interns live at the time there was only one guy living there uh, they added me and they ended up adding my my buddy Spencer who ended up we all ended up like doing a bunch of funny music together and so we all we ended up living at the church together I became like a studio intern and slash like worship intern and my job was to hang out at the church make sure nobody broke in and uh play on sunday mornings and i got paid like 100 bucks a week or something like that to play on sunday mornings um so it's a pretty good deal pretty solid deal for a 20 year old especially if you like don't have bills and yeah i had zero bills and didn't really have any i mean i wasn't gonna go back to school so i was trying to trying to figure out what i wanted to do yeah, that's not bad at all. So, I would have done the same thing, man. Yeah, I mean, it was a good situation. So, uh, I was basically spent most most nights and days messing around on that Pro Tools HD rig. It was an HD nine uh, rig. So, you want to know something funny? What? I've never used a Pro Tools HD rig. It's cool. 
being able to track like a ton of stuff at the same time is, is really nice. Um, we, so the thing that was cool about that is the studio space was located right behind the stage at the church. So everything at the, it was double patched. So everything at the, on the stage was also double patched into the studio. So I could, pull, oh, okay. so I could patch it into the, into the rig, the pro tools rig, but it would also, it had a split point that it would run to front of house separately from me. So we had our own gain staging. Um, That's like really cool actually. Yeah. Right. That's pretty That's tight. like really cool. Yeah. It's really tight. So Cause I feel like most churches or even the one that like I went to back home, like, you know, we were just there for Christmas before I moved down here. Mm-hmm. And I remember, um, you know, I'd always scout out front of house, see what they're up to. And, you know, they're running the typical like waves grid with the UAD live system. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, they had a laptop running. I think it was like Cubase or something recording yeah. the whole thing. Yep. So yeah, it's crazy. So they had a full studio. Was it like big? Like, did it have like a live room or was it just like yeah. a control room? No, it had a live room and a control room. It had a live room too. It wasn't huge. It was probably nine foot ceilings. So it wasn't massive. It had a vocal booth separated from like the actual live room, but it was big enough to track drums wow. in. So, wow. That's pretty big. Mm-hmm. It was pretty tight. You're, and yeah, that studio at that church is probably about what I was renting out back home. Mm-hmm. So, and I got to use it for free. I got to put my own stuff together. Uh, I was, I ended up like assisting on a bunch of projects that, you know, just came through because there was a guy that was over the studio at the time. So I was like his assistant or whatever. Um, did they have, what, what kind of mics did they have there? Uh, a U87 AI was like their big mic. So that's what I started learning to track vocals on. Wow. And what, uh, like what speakers did they have? HS8s, which is why I know I hate them. Oh, wow. That's crazy. So they had like a $2,000 microphone and the $3,500 microphone. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and a pair of like $800 speakers. (laughs) Um, anyway, so wow. they had that, but also, and I mean, at w- least with they the got sub, what was important with the sub. It had the sub too. So, and it was properly treated. That was one thing is the room was treated really, really, really well. Um, like extremely well. The, the other cool thing was it had a 24 channel, like focus, right? Control board on it. One of the old ones, yeah. Like one of, ISA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? No, no, not the not the ISIS, not the ISA series. It was the it was the, the the digital. Oh, is that how? Is that what the kids say? ISA. That's just what I say. But oh, okay, <laughs> um, it's not those. It's like the it's a digital. It's essentially like a giant MIDI controller with preamps built into it. Oh, so I like, didn't know that Focusrite made anything like that. Yeah, it's pretty tight. I know that Digidesign ma- does that digital mixer. So, and Digidesign makes versions of it too that I've used, um, that I use at that studio that I work out of, a studio that I work out of in Durham. They use that same, they use a Digidesign version of it, essentially. It's called a C24. Uh, this one's called a Control24, I believe. 
and so it's got all focus right preamps and it was pretty cool you know worked fine i could hand automate i could do like you know hand automation on it so that was tight like panning and mute automation and write stuff and so i gotta learn how to like do that physically before i delved into doing it like manually like daw only style so but then also there was uh two ssl 1073 pre's that we had um so those were really fun and then there were also the matching compressors but they were the 500 series ones so oh that's cool yeah so like so a deal with 500 um, series stuff too which was pretty pretty fun does ssl make a 1073 i'm sorry ssl neve sorry i'm an idiot i wasn't sure what you meant because then you said the compressor and i was like I don't know any prominent Neve compressors. Sorry, Neve off the top of my Neve, head. Neve ten seventy three. So I was like, which one is it? Or like, Sorry. did one of them make versions of the other? <laughs> no, it's the Neve five hundred series ten seventy three, um, and then it's the uh, it's the Neve comp that's also a five hundred series. I'm trying to remember. It's not a, it's not the pre. I want to say it's the, f- that's not it. That's a 511. That's a, I want to say it's like a 535 or something like that. Maybe it's a 543. I can't remember. It's like 540 something, but it that's was, cool yeah, it's a 500 series Neve pr- uh, compressor. So no EQs, but had a dope pre and two dope pre's and two dope compressors that that's I got. Need. Well, and I got to learn on them. That was the key thing is I got to learn like physical compression versus inbox compression. Yeah. Pretty See, early I, I on. I never, never learned all that. Yeah. And then like, I feel like the people who learn it your way end up being like, eh, analog gear doesn't make that big of a difference. So yeah, that was, that was the fun part is I learned when it was fun to use it and when it was just more annoying to use it. Yeah. See for me, it was it was a mixture of oh yeah, I don't need that, but it does sound better. Like mm-hmm. listening to analog EQs, especially when you're doing additive EQs, yeah, huge difference. So what was really interesting is I could, I was using them so much, I could really hear the difference between the Focusrite basic, pretty flat um, preamp. And the the ten seventy three preamp, like pretty pretty quickly. You start you wow. use it if it's the only two things that you use, and you use them on a bunch of different like sources. Like I would do one day, I would do vocals on the ten seventy three. Next time, I would do the vocals on the Focusrite. Kind of compare them. One time, I would do the guitars on the ten seventy three, and then use the compressor. And then the other time, I would just use the ten seventy three, and then use like a in the box compressor compressor and like mess around with like the variations of those. So I didn't have, it wasn't like I had a massive rack of stuff to use, but I did have just enough stuff to be like, I could AB this stuff from session to session and see what like combinations I really like. Yeah. That's really cool actually. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, that was really fun. And I got to learn about like patching and stuff because they had a really tiny patch bay, obviously, because they had to be able to patch stuff like from room to room and from the stage to the room. So it's like I learned a little bit about like signal flow from that perspective, um, which got really confusing early on because it was really hard for me to understand the whole like point to point and why stuff didn't just flow like linearly if that makes sense oh yeah see i i remember the first time i walked into a studio and i was like oh god it's a patch bay and mm-hmm. i was just like hey so i'm gonna be real with you i never used one of these thankfully matt is a god and he just was like yeah man so how i have it set up is all the points in the wall they just run straight through so like if you plug into input one it would go to the first channel on the focus right board 428 you know Mm -hmm. and um then he was like and yeah it's simple you just go out from the wall into this out from that into this and i was like wow man that's actually really simple because like i just kind of looked at it as like a pedal board and like yeah, swapping out that's essentially what board. it is that's all it is that's essentially what yeah if, from a guitar player's perspective it's a lot easier to figure it out the it's actually the fun part is it's a little daunting when you walk into it because i had the second we can kind of skip ahead a little bit but whenever i decided to really start taking like recording and stuff seriously it was probably like i had been recording bands and making a little bit of side money doing it at this point uh for about three years maybe um and then i got i met my wife at that church that i was interning at we got married when i was 25 um about two two years later i decided that i was like all right i'm gonna like actually take this stuff seriously um i had you know, I didn't really want to, I would have been working at the church like full time, but I was like, I don't really want to do that. I really just enjoy doing the, the music and the songwriting. And we had done some records and, um, I had mixed a record that had gotten the church, like a small record deal from like a tiny Christian label. So I was like, Oh, well, like I'm actually like pretty decent at this at least and produced it and like yeah. produced it myself with uh, a couple of the other guys there and tracked it. And that's when you won your first Grammy, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, the I went up to, to track at a different studio called Gat3 in Charlotte, um, which is where the rapper DaBaby works out of um but we had some connections up there i knew one of the producers uh up there and he had pulled me in since the church had gotten signed by that label we needed to do our apparently we needed to do our record at a big studio and spend a bunch of money so they spent like 40 grand or something like that on this 10 song record yeah (laughs) something like that that's a really nice problem to have man yeah 
Well, you they should hit up that church. Be like, hey, do you still have that same oh, budget? They did. I could help you out. Yo, they didn't. They didn't have that budget anyway. So that's a whole other story. But uh, so we did that though, and yeah, we not. I mean, we knocked it out of the park. It was fun. We did a bunch of co-writes with a couple of people there, and so we got to flex our songwriting muscles. Co co-produced it a little bit um, with the guys there. And then it turned out really cool. The mixes are pretty solid. Like, I'm pretty proud of it, to be honest. Uh, but I met the engineers there, and I liked them a lot. And I liked the space, and they offered a recording program. So I was like, all right. Ever, up until now, I think this was, I was 27 at this point. Like I said, I have been kind of doing the thing for about five four or five years at this point like for real like making money doing it like on the side for about four or five years um but i'd never really taken it seriously and i i i decided that i wanted to take it seriously so i dropped like the five dude it was only five thousand dollars to take this course it was a three-month course um which is like a lot of people are like five grand that's a stinking lot of money I mean, not really. I spent more on three classes with Berkeley Online. Exactly, dude. Like, and, and it was, this was in person. And I got a bunch of, I got a free license for Pro Tools for a year. Um, so that was pretty fun. And I got uh, some books that I'm actually going to end up using on this podcast. Uh, and a bunch of just other information and fun connections. And I met a bunch of really cool people. Um. But that is where I learned the basics. And that's the thing for me is that I had basically done the last four years producing and recording these bands without knowing anything about anything. I was just guessing the whole time and like mm -hmm. trial and erroring my way through stuff. Um, and kind of, you know, looking stuff up online and figuring out what I can, but... It was the first time I had ever sat down and been very plainly explained, like, this is a waveform. This is phase. This is signal flow. This, like, this is what, what a compressor does, like, on the basic level. Like, this is what it does, how it works. This is what an EQ does. Everything is basically just volume control essentially <laughs> um so yeah stuff like that um worth every penny highly recommend it to anybody i've sent some people up there to do it since then because it's it was a huge a huge thing for me getting to mess around with a 72 channel ssl 9000j was fun and also daunting whenever you walk into this big room with 72 channels of SSL on one side. And then on the other side, there's like a rack equally as big, full of gear, old vintage gear. And then the patch bay is That's like... how I felt walking into a clear track. <laughs> bro, the, the patch bay was the size of me. Like yeah. I'm like 6'1", and like yeah. it was me tall. Dude, that stuff blows my mind. Or like at Clear Track, which is a huge studio down here in Clearwater, they have um 
they have everything wired up to total recall oh that's so crazy you could literally just hit a button and all of the knobs in the room will turn to where they were that's nuts it's like it's crazy yeah they don't, don't they didn't I have like that. their monitoring had... systems I, I i still don't buy into that analog mumbo jumbo <laughs> i mean i do but i don't they they had they had recall sheets and everything so i also learned how to do recall sheets um but yeah so tracked a band there it was super fun got to mix it myself there it was super fun learned a whole bunch of stuff yeah, that sounds like a ton of fun, dude. Yeah. And, like, that's really cool, though, because, like, not only do you get to learn all this cool stuff, like, you're working at a place that, like, real artists come to and, like... Yeah. You get to be in that same environment. So, and the mix, the guy that owns the studios are is won two Grammys for mixing, um, which was really cool. And he... Like, the studio's been around for a really long time. He's worked on some records that were really cool for me that I found out about, I think he did like an early John Mark McMillan record that I enjoyed. He did, um, a bunch of the early elevation worship stuff, which at the time I was a huge fan of. Uh, he had done like some hip hop stuff that was really cool. He had actually worked out with, um, so he worked with Mike Posner Mike Posner worked out of there for some stuff. Oh, that's neat. I think I believe it Dude, was. Dude, it's crazy like seeing how how artists really do just like work on their off days at the nearest good studio. Yeah, dude. It's crazy. Because well, he went to Duke and that was still like 3 hours away, an hour and a half, maybe like 2 hours away from Charlotte. Yeah. Um so and that's the other thing. It was in Charlotte in North Carolina and that's like 2 hours away from me. And the course was every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. So I was driving two hours, four hours round trip for this course, getting home at 11 o'clock at night, leaving to go there at four in the afternoon from here every Tuesday and Thursday. And then Saturdays, it was all day because those were our lab days. So I would leave at six o'clock in the morning and we would start working at eight and then we wouldn't be finished until four and then i would drive back in charlotte traffic in the middle of the day on a saturday home for three months straight that's crazy so yeah another thing that's some that was another thing it was it was a time man it was a lot of every single day having to remind myself that you know, it was worth it and working super hard to try and make the thing happen. Cause it's, I, I had decided that I was going to take it seriously. And to me, dropping a bunch of money and spending a bunch of time driving and pushing was another way that I showed it. Yeah. Well, and like on top of it, like it's different whenever people like do things and they spend all this time and money on it. And then it turns out that like they're just okay well yeah so that's the other you know, thing it was good it's that, like it was you're good genuinely I, good at what you do well it was good that i had figured out before that i was good at it right so yeah dude i've had friends get like whole degrees and then just completely change 
Yeah, that was like, one. Yeah, well, I'm doing this other thing now, and it's like, well, you went for criminal justice or whatever they yeah. might want for. And that like, was... Yeah, but now you know, I sell rocks. Yeah, like well, like that I that kind of stuff rocks. really sucks. Whenever you think that you want something, but really all you wanted was to want to do that. Yeah, well, and so nothing more. <laughs> and like that was part of it. I was actually pretty close with everything that I did. It was always music related. Um, learning a bunch of different things about music and recording in different ways and stuff but i don't know man figuring out that i wanted to just record or not even just record but just like because at the time i was i wanted to mix and record and all that stuff and it wasn't until a year later it's about two years ago that i took brian's profitable producer course brian hood from the six figure home studio the profitable producer course and i was pretty early i think i was like the i was the third aab group i believe um something like that so i was pretty early on in but i had been following his stuff like you had said i followed his stuff from the since the blog um so I was like, oh, yeah, this is really cool. Like, this is honestly, I know how to do stuff. It's how to make it a business that I need to learn. So I started doing that stuff. That's and how then, it was. And then I started figuring out, oh, okay, well, let's figure out what I'm best at and what I enjoy the most and all that kind of stuff. And once you start thinking about all of those really, like, deep things, you start questioning yourself and you start thinking – you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like you're Dude, like, did you oh, ever, I'm did pretty you ever trash like, at all of this. Boot up your uh, your birth chart into one of those astrology things. No, <laughs> dude. So I finally did that, and it was like the same thing. Where like now, like I'm questioning everything because of how relevant and how weirdly specific. Yeah, this birth chart gets. I'll send it to you. Yeah, dude, it's do terrifying. It. I'll do it because I because like I've always wondered. Well maybe I'm not passionate about music. Maybe I'm passionate about building businesses. And because I'm a musician, I'm inclined to start bands, start music related businesses and Mm -hmm. be a music producer. And I've always wondered that. And I was going through my like astrology thing and it just kept bringing up the fact that like, yeah, man, you probably just want to make a business. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, so even if I wasn't music, musically talented, I'd still be talking on this podcast for sure. It would just be about something else. Exactly. Well, and like, so (laughs) that's the crazy part is same, but different for me. For me, it was, I always loved music, but I always secondarily to that. I always loved creating things regardless of what it was. Just kind of like, when's your birthday? August 1st. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. 1991. So what are you? Like your sign. Oh, Leo. You're a Leo. Yeah. Very cool. I'm an Aquarius. <laughs> I'm a water bear. Water. I'm a fire boy. I hate water, dude. <laughs> like, seriously? Okay. So, I I love, I love, like, fall weather. I love mountains. I love... Dude, same. I love, um... Yeah, I just really love. I don't even just love mountains. Like I love hills. Like growing up in like Western Pennsylvania, that's a big thing. Is like Dude, it's all yeah. hills and windy roads, and that's whenever I realized that I am in fact passionate about driving. Dude, and so me driving to Charlotte is one when I figured out I really enjoyed podcasts. 
because if you're driving four hours, sometimes five or six hours, depending on traffic uh, around trip, like you listen to a lot of podcasts. That's how I found, that's how I found Chris D'Elia's pod, like uh, congratulations podcast. Well, I started, he's canceled now. So I know, man, but uh, I, so. uh, I started, I listened to his, I listened to um, at the time it was the Nerdist podcast, the Chris Harvick one. Oh. Um, listen to that one a lot, and then like I listened to um, there weren't very many music podcasts at that point, so I listened to a ton of the what the the URM podcast, and it was the Joyce Joey Sturgis Forum podcast, like early yeah. early on. Um, that's wild. So like, it, dude, I, it's crazy what long drives can do to you. I love driving, dude. So do I. I love driving and I still want to do autocross really, really bad. And so I think I'm going to try to find a place down here that does it because I have nowhere else to go (laughs) um, being in quarantine. Yeah, dude. So, um, yeah, I really want to get into autocross. I got to get new brakes for my car first, though. (laughs) But But yeah, dude. So after doing all that and kind of taking Brian's course and figuring out that like business stuff was pretty important, I started not recording as much myself i still obviously i still like i record stuff but it's not Mm -hmm. my goal is not to have a studio my goal is to try and turn this place into my studio if you're watching on video my room is a trash mess right now but i love it yeah dude um i'm just waiting on that literally i had to move so much junk just to set my laptop on my table i'm I'm really i'm really trying to get this desk i'm really trying to get this desk in here and then get this room finished up because you know it's kind of hard to get all of the all of the speakers and stuff set up until you know the height of your to desk. get out of Tampa, dude. So yeah, so <laughs> we're <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I figured out I didn't really want a studio. I more so just wanted to like make stuff with people, man. So I very much went heavy on the trying to make as many connections with people and making as many friends as possible. Mm-hmm. Like I went hard on that. Which works because I went to Nam this past year and the whole time you were just blowing up my phone like, hey, this is my friend and this is my friend and this is my friend and this is my friend yeah. and this is my friend and this is my friend and this is my friend. You got to meet them all. Yeah, and then I met like none of them. They were all walking around. So I know Danny was doing guitar work for people and then McLucas was doing like, I think he was doing stuff for JST. Like he was doing... I think he was doing social stuff for JST then for Nam. I don't remember, but he was busy. And then Brian was there and Chris Graham were there. Yeah, I met up with Chris and he got okay. like swarmed by people. And I was like, oh man. And so I was just like, hi, Chris. It's nice to finally meet you over a thing that isn't video chat. And he was like, you too, man. And then I just like kind of yeah, got disconnected. Bye. I was like, I'll catch up with you later. And then I didn't see him again. Yeah, exactly. And so, Chris, if you're listening to this right now, I'm so, so sorry that we didn't like hang out and drink coffee and talk about things. And businesses and building things. And businesses and building things. <laughs> but Dude, yeah. if, if Nam is a thing again ever, then 
we we gonna go oh yeah we're definitely gonna go for sure it's gonna be a good time um but yeah so that i i kind of figured out that i just wanted to to make stuff with cool people and meet a bunch of cool people and now i'm just doing production work and i mostly hire out everything yeah that's kind of where i'm at where it's just like all i all i do now is i write because that's all i really care about Mm -hmm. and all i'm really like it's not that i can't like i'm good at producing yeah i'm really good at producing i'm okay at mixing but yeah not only am i really good at writing but i also love writing and then the production stuff is just like on top of that and even then i would prefer not to produce a whole so I whole thing. Love, I would just produce the things I like to produce. <laughs> I love producing stuff, man. I love taking people's ideas and like making them good. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I feel that. Same I, here. I, that's my favorite, dude. Like, cause I don't know. I'm not necessarily, I come up with unique stuff. I, I like to think I do, but I, I don't necessarily like working from nothing. I actually work better when I have, like a constraint. So here's a good for instance. Um, I'm me and Shama are working on uh, that song. I sent it to you earlier. That bigger song. Yeah. Um, I had we we were stuck on that song, dude. We literally sat on that song for like a week and a half while we were working on other songs, and I had no idea what I want, where I wanted to go with it, what I wanted it to sound like until we picked the guy who was going to sing it. And I said, okay, well, what would he produce this like? Because I know what his music kind of sounds like. Then I said, well, I'm just going to produce this like if he self-produced it or like in his style or whatever. And then and then it happened like that. I wrote, I had the production done in like four hours. Like the whole like vocal chops glitch the whole nine yards it was all done i had the structure done beforehand but i didn't know what it wanted i didn't know what i wanted it to sound like if that makes sense. yeah that's cool yeah i've been there where like sometimes like having limiting factors actually makes you work better yeah that's really cool so um yeah i mean as far as like your timeline man is there anything else that you want to include before i ask you ask you the important questions uh I don't think so. I'm trying to think. Uh, I think you covered just about everything because we did do this same exact podcast. Yeah. <laughs> a few days ago, but we were both. So it was actually last week and it was the, I think it was the day of or the day after I found out that I had COVID. I think it was the and, day of, cause you were like, I want to do a podcast cause I just wanted to do something. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, like let's just do this podcast because like I'm panicking. And then on top of that, like it was also 11 o'clock at night um kind of like how it is right now <laughs> yeah but we're way more awake <laughs> and, right now and uh we were both like half asleep and i was actually just thinking about how like this time next week like i could be dead from covid19 and so like he kept going on his story and i would just be like yeah <laughs> tell me more tell me more. but i from what Definitely. from memory though from the parts i do i did retain i think that you covered not only everything but you gave us a little bit more in less time than last time. Yeah, I didn't talk about the veggie tail stuff at all, but that's not super important. Um so yeah, man. <laughs> uh your your story is really interesting to me because I'm a part of a generation of kids that kind of like pick up on this stuff in high school. 
So it's really neat seeing how much better you are than me, even though we've only been in this for the same amount of time. If not, I wait, how old are you right now? 28. 28? So I started taking, I mean, I'll be 29 in August. So I started okay, taking so be 29 it in August. I'm 23. When so I, I like, got started whenever I was 15. So I'm eight years deep into this. And you are also about eight years deep into this. Yeah, I started taking it seriously about 26, 27. Oh, okay. So, okay, yeah. So we're, we're it's weird because like we were doing these things at like the same time. Yeah. Even though we're five years apart. And so it's actually really cool like seeing how our ideas like align. Mm-hmm. But then also like you know how to make a vocal chop sound so much better than me. <laughs> And so it's that's like really cool seeing like the parallels, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's weird because, like you said, you grew up with like the idea of doing studio for you was probably like, yeah, that's a possibility, right? Mm-hmm. For me, that was never a possibility until I was I walked into a multi million dollar studio in Nashville yeah. when I was twenty. Well, you years figure old. I was on the six figure home studio blog whenever I was still in high school. Mm-hmm. Like that, that that was something that I showed my mom whenever I was talking about college stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, this were... man made this much in his house because he posted his tax numbers. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was like, and I was like, and he has numbers. no major label credits, and it's all like crappy metalcore, like what you tell me I make, and like <laughs> like that that's like literally shout out to Brian because you yeah, saved dude. me a lot of time and debt and sadness. Oh yeah, dude. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like, it's crazy thinking that, you know, where it's like, I graduated knowing like, this is what I got to do while like you had all of this time to like go to college and do other things. And it sucks though, because I feel like I kind of like graduated and I was just so focused on working. It's like, okay, I had to get a good enough job so I could pay for things so I could invest. On the grind immediately. Yeah. I had some time to waste, which was kind of nice. I mean, I did too in a lot of ways also. Like, I wasn't always super, super serious. I might have said I was, but I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't super serious until the day that I quit my job. So for me, you know, for me, it kind of sucks because I just feel sometimes you feel like I wish I would have known this earlier, you know, because I. But then you also wonder, like, how far, how much farther would you have gotten? Maybe. Because, like, let, let's be real, dude. Like, most 20-year-old guys are stupid. True. You know, like, I don't know. I feel like I, because, like, I'm still technically in my early 20s. So, like, I feel like each year, like, I'm a different person. Mm-hmm. Whenever I was 18, I was basically brain dead. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, even though I knew that this is what I wanted to do, and, like, I, like, I thought I was great whenever I was trash, and I didn't understand these things that I claimed to understand, and, yeah. like, it hasn't been until, like, this past year that, like, I really feel like I'm doing things the right way, you know? For sure. Um. So, yeah. But, yeah, dude. No, it is, it is pretty interesting. And just to be, like, it, it's it's one of those things where I wish I had known earlier, but also had I known earlier, I probably wouldn't spent near as much time on actual music, the music part of it. Right. Um, because that's you never would have interned at that church. You never would have met your wife. Well, so potentially, but also I wouldn't have gone to college at all. And I would have had 
zero music theory knowledge or my ear training. So that's that's another. So then you would be in my shoes right now. Exactly. We're like I'm. I'm like you know. I was to the point where I still regret not trying to get into drum corps because mm-hmm. I was that good. But yeah. I still can't read music. And I, I'm taking music theory lessons at age 23. My second. <laughs> my second year in. My second year in college, I my mu- my ear training teacher had perfect pitch. So you get really good really fast whenever you she can tell you you're off by microtones. Wow. Like how many microtones? <laughs> it was she's nuts. She's also amazing. She's an amazing person, sweet lady. Her name's Jane Dill. She's like an amazing pianist. Like That's crazy. And organ player too. Like she's nuts. You but, know, I was I was 22 years old whenever I learned that organ players also use their feet on giant keys. Like yeah, it's dude. out of a cartoon. It's crazy. I had a buddy of mine that was an organ major in college and like <laughs> watching him practice was just mind blowing. <laughs> because they it's don't have terrifying. any there's no sustain. You have to crab walk your fingers like to sustain because if you let go, like the sound turns off. It's an on off switch. Yeah. There's no like the dynamics is in the pedals that you use in your feet. It's crazy, dude. Yeah, I'm not a fan, dude. Those people are crazy. Like uh, the guy that I taught for, uh, Charlie McVeigh. He, he, um, he plays steel guitar. Oh, dude, that's a whole nother world of stuff that I don't understand. So okay, yeah, like I don't know how close you've been to like a good steel guitar player. Oh, I have, but yeah, like, there's a couple. Guys you know how they I have know. pedals, and yeah. then they play with their hands. And, and then, then there's they also, also play with their knees. Yeah, they play they play with their knee bends and stuff like that, bro. I don't. They even, play with their knees. Yeah, I don't even understand. Yeah, there's a couple guys around here that I've uh, tracked and played with that are amazing lap steel players. That I just I watch them play and I don't understand it. Yeah, dude, it, it's a whole nother thing. And he he he, he like would hand build these things alongside brad paisley's bender stuff and he was just one of the coolest guys i ever met and i miss him a lot but um yeah man so i think it is time for me to pop the question the questions the questions so the first one i forget what it is so if you were to do this all over again right now what would you do is that the right question that's one of them we had a couple different options yeah i know i know what the other one is um (laughs) if i were to do it all over again i would probably still do the same thing that i did except instead of just goofing around in college I would have only taken two, I would still only take two years of college to knock out my my ear training and my music theory knowledge. Because getting trained by people that do jazz and orchestra music is just a whole nother level of music theory that is kind of hard to deep dive into on the internet. Um, and it w- helps me a lot now, but I would combine that with the uh, production and mixing knowledge 
that I found on the internet at the same time. Because the problem was I didn't learn that like Nail the Mix or any of those kind of online course options were a thing until about three years after oh. I So did what college. you're saying is you would just like condense everything. Exactly. To make it quicker. Exactly. Very cool. You didn't ask me this question, did you? I didn't ask you that question. Yeah, man. What's up with that? <laughs> I'm going to record it privately. Question. I asked you a different question. And then I'm going to insert it into my audio after this. Um, so, lastly, if you were to pick five records that changed the way that you viewed music, what would they be? All right. So I had some time to think about this. Um, so As Cities Burn, Son, I Loved You at Your Darkest. I learned that I loved music with passionate screaming in it. And just because the album sounds a little bad means doesn't mean that the songs aren't good. That's how I feel about uh, that one Earl Sweatshirt record. Which would have been on my top five if you phrased it the exact same way that yeah, I did. That's fair. <laughs> uh, so that one's that one's a top five. It kind of got me into heavy heavy. It was my gateway into heavy music, or one of my gateways into heavy music. Cool. Um, I love. Okay, so I'm just gonna go ahead and get Sempaternal. I bring me the horizon is a goat record for me. It's the record that I learned that product like synth production and metal could coexist in a, in a pop way that made, that made cohesive sense, not in a attack attack cheesy synth kind of way, but in a, like this makes actual sense together. It makes actual sense. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, so that was a big one. Um, Circus Survives, Blue Sky Noise. Dude, that record is so good. Taught me that an album can, in fact, be perfect. So, all right. You you need to meet Sam because <laughs> Circa is like his all-time favorite band. And his favorite record by them is the one before that. On letting go, yeah, with the balloons, yeah. yeah, that's that's so. That's my buddy Ian's favorite. Yeah, okay. Well, y'all can be friends. Yeah, because you deserve to be friends. Yeah, me and uh, um, me but, and Ian had a whole conversation about Circa actually, like last week, about how that that Blue Sky Noise is the pinnacle of their career, but On Letting Go is probably their most like true to themselves record. Yeah. See, I listened to Blue Sky Noise a lot because whenever I was in high school, I would go to the mall with my friends or um or or my girlfriend cuz we've been dating for a whole long Hot time. <laughs> and I would just go into like the FYE there mm-hmm. and I would just like pick out records that like I either heard about or I like almost recognized so I had new stuff yeah. to listen to. And that's how I got Blue Sky Noise. Um And that record's perfect, I got, dude. The death card there. I got, um, dude, I found, 
they're both in my car. I found one of the first copies of uh, The Night God Slept Ooh, and nice. of their only chasing safety. Nice. They were used there. They're uh, still in my glove compartment. They're the only two CDs I brought down here to, with me. So, <laughs> um, let's see. So, yeah, that one taught me that a record can be perfect. Blue Sky Noise. Um, I will always remember the first time I ever got back into Inter Shikari. I will say that probably the mind sweep. no, not the mind sweep. Oh, I I do love that record and it's really good and it's probably their heaviest record. Um, Fetch the anesthetist. Yeah, dude, it's so oh. good. It's so good. But the um the album before that, a flash flood of color. Yeah, dude was amazing to me because it taught me like just be creative and sometimes it'll sound super cool and to not trust the government and to care for the environment well that too but (laughs) that too but also um yeah it's sometimes i forgot about that record sometimes it was like a moment for me dude it was really it it was a moment for me too because it was so it was their first record because I knew Common Dreads had happened. Um, and I listened to it a little bit, but there was, that was, it, there were three years apart. Like it was 2012 when a flash of color came out and yeah, it was, it was a moment for me. Cause it was like, this is some of the most creative production and writing that I've ever heard in my entire life. And it's neat because they also went all the way to, um, I think it was Thailand. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, Taiwan. that was the one they did, Th- they did in Thailand. Yeah, and they did the whole record in like Thailand, and they went to like this concrete foundation of a house and recorded drum samples there mm-hmm. um, to put in to the record. Yep. And that, I remember watching that and thinking like, oh, like that's how records are made. Mm-hmm. Or like whenever Rob is smacking that metal chair because he left his second snare at home. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. I still do that. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it uh, works. So that one was a good one. And I have one more uh, if we're doing five because that should be four. Um, oh, I would have to say a more recent one, actually. Uh, Black Balloons by Denzel Curry. That record is so good. Yeah. Um, oh. it's got some, it's got some, or it's called taboo. Sorry. But it's the record with black balloons on it. It's called yeah. taboo. Um, but it, it's got some weird tracks on it that are like, I'm, they're not my favorite, but it's also got some of his biggest heaters I've ever heard in my life on it. And yeah, it, that record's real good. And then the one that he put out after that also Zoo. is really good too mm-hmm. speedboat it might be bro, one of the catchiest songs in that the world. whole so that record was one of my favorite records of la- that last year um was it was last year yeah it was 2019 yeah it was so good the but so taboo was the record where i was like okay you can do hip-hop but you could also make it really dark but it also doesn't have to just be sad like it can be 
angry or also just raw. And oh, dude, that's it's funny that you said that because um, that's how I got into hip hop was whenever I realized that like hip hop is just punk music. Yeah, that's all it is. Because like I got into like the darker Mac Miller stuff, and then mm-hmm. I found out about Earl Sweatshirt and Tyler the Creator, and yeah. like. Um, Dude, even like uh, MF Doom. Oh yeah, heck yeah, stuff like that, dude. And like, I was just like, oh, like this is art. Like this oh, yeah. is, like, and some of it is very abstract. Like very, very abstract. For sure. And um, yeah, dude. Do you listen to JID? Yes, dude. Good. He's 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 an Atlanta dude. No, he's not. Yeah, he is an Atlanta dude. Um, he might be. I don't know. I know he's Atlanta. on Dreamville, or at least yeah. associated with it. He's associated with it, but he's. I think he's an East Atlanta guy. He um, is phenomenal. Him, him and Black, and, uh, you know, Six Lack. Yeah. Yeah, they come from the same like town, Sider Town, I think. Um, but I will say, special shout out to the Porter Robinson record. Worlds was a was like an, a record that got me like back into EDM and like pop edm if you've never listened to it dude it's it, there's some heaters on there really yeah i'll see i'll send it to you it's pretty it's pretty cool it's it got me into like doing vocal chops a lot i'm gonna send it to you right now um but yeah it's it there's some bangers on there man big recommend that's like a sleeper record for me it's definitely not on my top five because it didn't like shift anything, but it was like one of those. It was just more of an eye-opening one for me. It was a like, moment. It was a moment record for sure. Because I distinctly remember that record coming out and being like, "This is shifting the pop world to EDM." It was that yeah. whole like when that shift happened in like That's 2015. Dope. That's very cool. Well, but man. Yeah, dude. I think that we basically hit all the bases. I sure. think that we are just about done yep. for today. We are. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to include? Uh, I don't think so. Um, if anybody's interested in some other stuff that I do, uh, you can go to my website. That'd be cool musicbydrew.com drew is spelled d-r-u um you can also check out after school program on youtube and me and my buddy shama own that company and we make like comedy videos and things like that and they also sponsor this podcast and me and shama have been putting together this podcast network that this podcast and a bunch of other fun, awesome, cool podcasts are on. So, yeah. Check that stuff out. Nice, man. My dogs need to go pee. and I I'm, have to go pee. <laughs> and I need to go wash dishes because it's 1130 All right, night. man. Well, I guess we are going to tune on out. It works. Thanks for coming to hang out with us, everybody, and learning about us a little bit and having a laugh and having a it's cry and we laugh we cry nobody we... got real sad i know <laughs> not this time not yeah not yet just wait <laughs> until i like do a live songwriting sesh let's do it <laughs> it's gonna be so sad <laughs> all right 
Sounds good, man. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. And that's it for this episode of the Home Studio Hangout Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please check us out on your favorite podcasting platform. Leave a review. It helps the show so much. Uh, Kind of get out there for new people to find. Uh, If you want to watch this, if you aren't already, uh, check us out on YouTube by searching Home Studio Hangout. Uh, And thank you so much again for giving us your time and your attention. And remember, keep on creating.